Uh, this episode, I'm once again joined by Jay Skipworth from Film Strip Pod. Jay, how you doing? Man, Mike, doing good. Thanks for having me on again. And I'm uh, real excited to talk about this one with you because uh, we've been kicking this around in the background for ooh, quite some time now. Yeah, we even hinted it at our, uh, our last episode we did together. And uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, so, okay, so the episode is The Shape of Water. And I think we, this came about because I think we were talking about uh, talking about Del Toro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I think we, we both agreed, like, Hellboy is kind of, there's not really much more to say. Like, everyone's talked about it. There's not much yeah. more we can add to that conversation. And and we were kind of kicking around, like, oh, maybe Pan's Labyrinth. But, and then mentioned I mentioned Shape of Water, and you were like, ooh, I have some opinions about that movie. And I said, all right, <laughs> then we're going to be talking about Shape of Water. Um, yeah. So I guess, and, and I... I don't want this to seem like I'm like the defender of the movie because I do like I want to defend it in some capacity, but also like I have some glaring issues with the movie. Like just show my hand a little bit. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot that goes into this as well. You know, we can talk about the Oscars that year, the year this movie came out. We can talk about just Del Toro a little bit. I think there's a lot that is going to go into this discussion. Um, but first, like Jay, first thoughts of when I say Shape of Water, what 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 conjures, what images conjure in your mind? Well, I don't abjectly hate it, and and I'll I'll say that from the beginning because I do have some problems with it, and I think we'll go through a lot of those as we get into the discussion tonight, Mike. Um, you know, the first thing that I think of is uh, what its origin is, and uh, Del Toro has made no bones about the fact that. Uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon uh, was his uh, muse for this, among other things. But, uh, and that's one that, you know, on Filmstrip last fall, we decided to tackle because we, we've been getting requests from people for years to do uh, Universal Monster movies. And in my head, I was like, well, what else can I say about Dracula? You know, that hasn't been said without talking about, you know, 50 other Dracula movies. And same with Frankenstein or Bride of Frankenstein. Um, Wolfman is one of those, like, nobody really, I mean, it's sort of there, but it's like, I I don't know nobody talks about that one but creature from the black lagoon i really think is like the forgotten monster because it never got remade they made a cheapy couple sequels to it but they've never gone back to it again and you know from what i've heard from del toro on it he was sort of curious why not either because that one made a lot of money and it, it was a great concept and so that's the first thing i think of because when i saw this movie coming out i did not see this in theaters but i thought so guillermo guillermo del toro did creature from the black lagoon as kind of a love story but also like a racial politics metaphor or something i don't know there's a lot going on in this i will say the other thing that that always um strikes me about this movie is the cast uh, i don't really know sally hawkins from anything so she's the one piece i don't know but i know the rest of this cast pretty well i've seen doug jones in a billion things i love octavia spencer that woman can act the phone book and i would watch it um i think richard jenkins and michael shannon are two of our finest character actors uh, and michael sturberg as well i mean the, it, he assembled a really good cast and without a real leading person in it you could argue that any of these you know, any of the 
you know, those last three or four people have all been leading characters at time, but they really are better known as being character actors. So when you do that in a movie, you better have a bang up script and, and a bang up premise and, and everything else to make it work because you've put actors, you know, in there who can just transform into stuff in front of you. And, you know, I eventually got around to seeing this one after it won the Academy Award, which I have lots of thoughts about the Academy Awards that year and what should have won and all that stuff. Maybe we talk about that in a bit, but I, I finally got around to seeing it. And Mike, as I was watching it, I literally realized this movie is erasing itself in my, in my head as I'm watching it. Like I was forget. And when I turned it on to watch it for this, it's on Hulu right now. I, I thought, do I remember any of this movie? And as it started to play, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And it kind of came back, but I, it's so funny to me to watch a movie that is as heralded as this one is. And I'm like, man, this isn't even in Del Toro's top five. Like, I don't get why everybody loves this one. I don't hate it, but also I'm kind of eh about it. So that's my, you know, uh, 45 page answer to the one page question of what do I think of Shape of Water? Yeah, it's definitely like I, I so, so I was pretty excited for this movie. Um, definitely, I, I really dig Del Toro style. And so, like with my relationship with El Toro, you know, I, I've I've seen Devil's Backbone. I I've seen it. Last time I saw it was high school, and I remember thinking it was odd, and I, I didn't really get it. Um, I thought it was um, at least from like my high school perspective. So like you know like I don't know ten years ago, I thought it was uh, kind of all over the place, but it was like a good like kind of opening to Del Toro, uh, you know. Uh, definitely Hell, Hellboy I think is the one that introduced me to Del Toro it's it's funny that's like my when I when I'm like crip like crippled hungover that's the movie I watch for some reason um like it, and that stems back from college like I'd just be laying there and I'm like all right so there's something familiar something very because I, I watch it at such a young age and and it just it, I, I guess it just takes me back when I'm, I'm like man I wish I wasn't drinking but um so the you know Del Toro, Crimson Peak. Um, I I actually haven't seen Pacific Rim. I it's just something about like big like mechanized people fighting or like you know machines fighting like uh, the the Goji or like the I forget what they're called like the, like the, the kaiju ka- yeah. kaiju yeah the kaiju yeah. monster like it's something and then like the like the sequels like I I'd seen the sequel which was a big mistake because yeah <laughs> so. yeah, yeah that's that sequel is terrible I, I'll I'll jump in and tell you like Pacific Rim is that actually worth your time because oh, yeah. it's the it's the middle chapter where you'll never get the original chapter so it's like if you had started with the Empire Strikes Back you kind of get that movie uh, it works the same way and I think that's the thing about about Del Toro is he's really good at like middle stories and stuff like Blade Two is a is an improvement over Blade in a lot of ways except for the main villain um and and hellboy 2 i think isn't bad at all i think it's just as good as it's just as fun as hellboy and i, I kind of feel like shape of water is the middle part of a story it's not the origin of the creature of the black lagoon he kind of lets that be its own thing and then you have this story and then there could be another story where Eliza and the creature are together. Maybe, you know, he's teased at that for years. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, you know, the thing about Del Toro, if people know anything, it's his style. It's his mix of kind of romantic flavoring with sci-fi and stuff. That's what he's into in fantasy. In yeah, and like horror fantasy. Like, yeah. Horror fantasy. Yeah. Because before this movie, he actually was working with, um, 
uh, oh, who's the Japanese game producer that he was essentially going to make another, uh, he was going to be a really attached heavily to the next Silent Hill video game. Yeah. And yeah. he, along with, uh, I think it was Kojima. I think that's, I think that's, I'm not like super into like video games, but, um, but I have seen it. It's called PT playable trailer and it's, and it's a brilliant concept. I know nothing about the Silent Hill video game film for nothing. And Norman Reedus was supposed to be attached to this. And the premise was you're walking through a repeating hallway and every it's, and it's like very like Dave, like David Lynchian. And as it's getting like, as you go through each level of uh, level of like each progression of the hallway, like there's minor changes. And then it's like genuinely horrifying. And I was like, holy shit, this is going to be awesome. And then the game got trashed and then they made Death Stranding. And I haven't, again, I haven't played that game, but I've heard it is, it is not anywhere near what PT was and, you know, solidified this, like what game demos could be. It's, it's amazing. Like, and, and uh, I was watching a, uh, an, uh, an, like an analyst of um, Del Toro and how he uses violence and horror, like, uh, and they specifically focused on Pan's Labyrinth with the, uh, like the skinny man i think that's what he like with yeah. the the eyes and the hands mm-hmm. uh uh when the general when his face got slit in half you know using horror elements to like and, and violence and it's and, and and this is another thing his films are really deeply rooted in his childhood in his trauma and you know is how he grew up and especially violence because apparently he would like the, the this vi- idea of violence comes from he was like climbing a fence like a like a sharp pointed fence and he fell and he got impaled under his armpit yeah. and he and he just and he describes that pain and every time he shows pain in his film he wants to try and capture that essence and that also goes into like visuals that he has in his life there are multiple there's at least one visual in this movie that he says that he had done in his life and you you might know what it is and we'll we'll get to it um but uh it's 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 the uh, when the bathroom fills with water he did that as yeah. a child and and I'll go more into that when we huh. get to that scene and and I just feel like that may be why people especially shape of water just feel so personal where pan's labyrinth I feel like is more like it's akin to Coppola making Apocalypse Now, where like all like it almost killed them. They're just like Jesus Christ. I just want to make this movie, <laughs> and and like just it just every like, like Murphy's Law. Anything that could go wrong did go wrong with Pan's yeah. Labyrinth. Where this feels a little bit more personal, which is weird to say that when you start dissecting like the content of the movie. Yeah, and that's why I say like I hear people say that stuff, and I almost I I mean. You, you're, you're free to your opinion. Everybody's free to their opinion. So this is just me sort of counter arguing that it's like, it's hard for me to think of this as something really personal other than the influences that he's paying off in this. Like, again, he is a fan of universal monster movies and sort of what they brought into the world. He's also a fan of like the fifties as an aesthetic and not the like washed over version of the fifties, like, you know, something like Happy Days would have presented, which is really more the 60s. But you know what I mean, right? It's not that. It's more of like what it was really like to be a woman in the 50s. And we get a real shot of that with like the, our three females in this. And there's, you may think there's three, like there are three. Yes, there's a third one that has like one scene or two scenes. But yes, you learn something from them. And I think what he he really is trying to 
tell a story about is this fear of the other and the oppressed and all that stuff. And I know I, I sound like I'm, I'm throwing off like a lot of, you know, uh, critical, you know, modern relational theory out here. But I think that I think that's in this movie for a reason. It's not arbitrary because Guillermo del Toro, one thing about him is there's not junk in his movies that doesn't mean anything. Like everything has something in it, even in something big and goofy, like Pan's Labyrinth or, or Blade 2 or even Pacific Rim. Like there's underlying stuff he's trying to tell stories about in these movies. And it's certainly in this movie, too. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's totally there. Uh, I do have points about that once we get into the movie. But uh, before we do that, let's talk about the Oscars, the 90th. I think it was the 90th Academy Awards. Yeah, the 90th Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, I, I was actually talking about this with my buddy because I, I mentioned we're doing this this uh, discussion, and I was like, oh, "What movies were like were at the uh, the 90th Academy Awards?" And I kept getting them confused with the year later, like the 2019 ones, because that was just not a good year. I, I don't, or at least I think that's when Green Book won, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, I, I, I did like Marriage Story, but, you know, like that was just a year that I was not impressed with really anything that was out there. But this year I'm looking at what was, I guess, what was uh, nominated in 2017. I was like, OK, yeah, this was a pretty awesome or a pretty good year for movies. You know, we got Floor Project, Shape of Water, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, I think Call Me By Your Name, Get Out, Phantom Thread. Uh, you know, just naming the big ones that I can see. Lady Bird was a big one. Oh, yeah, Lady Bird. Dark, I Darkest Tanya. Hour and Dunkirk were your war films. Mm -hmm. you know? so, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was one of those years where like they had I think like ten you know nominees for Best Picture and and all of that stuff. And it was it was a stacked year. I've always felt like the the best movie of the year was Get Out out of that list and it did win for best original screenplay and i you know i i think daniel kalua deserved best actor i think the the journey he takes us on and get out is way more interesting than gary oldman in a fat suit but what, <laughs> who am i to say I, I, I honestly i feel like that was a we need to give oldman one because he deserves one but it's yeah. like the scorsese thing like well it's really for something we you know we like better but eh, here you go uh but i mean really i i mean i thought kalua was great in that um and I, if you don't want to give Jordan Pierce best director, um, you know, first time out for Get Out, I can get that because I, I love him and I think his work is great. Jordan Peele's work is great, but I, I don't know that like his direction is what made that movie great. It's the acting and the, the script and the, the just the movie, you know, made that movie great. Um, but I, I will always hold up like Get Out was probably the best movie <laughs> that year. And, and I kind of feel like that. And this might have been like the fifth or seventh one out of that list and if you were going to ask me to rank them uh, in something like the post seems like another quasi historical modern journalism drama where we still try to act like newspapers do righteous work they don't trust me um, so that was you know it's another one of those so Lady Bird, I thought, deserved a lot more love than maybe it got. That's a funny movie and kind of a twisted side humor kind of movie. Um, but, you know, again, you've got your usual suspects in, in that pile. But when Shape of Water won, I was genuinely surprised. Um, and I knew it was about to happen because they gave uh, Del Toro Best Director. And I thought, well, you know, the, usually those go together. Not always, but they tend to. And I thought, uh-oh, okay, they, they split the actors up from other people. And, you know, they – they gave uh, Jordan Peele the screenplay award. So this is, yep, yeah, this is going to be Shape of Water. Somehow the um, creature from the Black Lagoon love story is going to win best picture. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to look down at uh, 
but oh that wasn't that was Blade Runner 2049 came out that year. I'm looking I'm trying to look for uh, best director I, I just have it pulled up uh yeah. Nolan Peel P.T. Anderson Greta Gerwig those they, those were the what was I five yeah those are the five yeah. who are up so I kind of I kind of I, I saw Shape of Water going for that um just because I felt like it was I think that was like his fifth Oscar nomination and yeah like you said it was just like here you go like yeah yeah I don't think he got one for he definitely didn't get one for Pan's Labyrinth which was like yep this this was for uh this was for like this was essentially like oh this was for like Pulp Fiction you know like here this was a much better movie but you know you'd earned it so I but I didn't really see when I was watching it I didn't really think that uh, best picture is going to shape water. I know they're typically linked, but if the year prior mm-hmm. showed us anything, you know, it's it's yeah. not always a given. But um, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't have to be. And you're right. And it had, it was kind of a roundtable of we're going to give everybody their award, but then the big two went to shape of water, and that was a little surprising to me. Yeah. At that point, but uh, you know, I mean, I could I can always sit back and and argue that I think the Oscars missed it here and there. You know, I've even done shows on that before. You know, I'd, I'd love we we can always tear those out again. But I, I'll say, you know, I believe what I'm what I'm standing by here is that Get Out should have deserved it. But they're never gonna let a horror movie in of an elevated horror movie win the best <laughs> movie. Yeah, because I mean, they, there's still people in the Academy that can't live down Silence of the Lambs. And the fact that they let this one go by is what's kind of amazing because, you know, Return of the King got it for being a fantasy movie. I'm still surprised that one won um, the way it, it did and, and then it got passed. And this one's like a violent fantasy movie. There's, there's parts of this that are incredibly grotesque. And I'm not even talking about the sex scenes. I'm just talking about the violence in this movie. Uh, and and I, I, that was one thing I'd forgotten about it, Mike, was like how bloody this thing is. I was like, oh, man, yeah, Del Toro really got the got the squibs out. Yeah, and and, and that's uh, that's his thing. Like, it's definitely like he's more of a fan of like the Grimm's fairy tales as opposed yeah. to, you know, Disney fairy tales. Because I mean, and again, I keep going back to Pan's Labyrinth, but I just think that's like the magnus opus. Like, the, this is the the pinnacle of at least as of right now of Del Toro. You know, I the, I bring up like the skinny tall man that Doug Jones plays. You know, mm-hmm. like the scene, like that scene in itself. I think uh, Del Toro was like, you know, I don't care. I didn't win the Oscar because I had a screening with Stephen King and it freaked him out. So like that was like better than any Oscar or any award that I could have gotten. And it's genuinely terrifying. I still remember the first time I watched the movie, you know, when they like and I bring up the violence, like him eating the fairies and just like blood gushing like their tomatoes. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, I mean, in this, you get the creature eats a freaking cat. Yeah. The, the cat the fingers uh, like yeah. uh, just it, just it's just violent which is it, yeah it is, ex- it is a violent movie in, in a lot of ways and um without having big action set pieces there's a couple of shootouts in the last of the third act but those are not like it's not beverly hills cop 2 yeah you know? they're not over <laughs> he, the top um yeah he's not staging he's not staging heat you know, in, <laughs> yeah. in the streets <laughs> Yeah, and so I guess we can get into the shape of water now. And I, I do want to say, like right off the bat, um, I really do. So we, you know, we get our like our opening credit, whatever. And I, and I want to say right off the bat, I'm really, I, I love the music of uh, like the soundtrack of this film. And it's like it's it's set in America, like Baltimore, which I'll get to that in a second. But it's 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 like very like the the music reminds me of like some sort of like French like uh, like lounge music. I, I really dig the vibe. Even the the trailer has uh, 
some French like like um, jazzy like jazz lounge uh, music, yeah. which I listen to every now and again. You're like, oh, like it's kind of it's kind of neat. It's a, it's a very it's it feels worldly. To, yeah. to me and then you know we get we go in it's under underwater we transition into this hallway and into the room everything's floating and I gotta say like it looks pretty good you know I know it's there's CGI components I don't know how they did it, it's it's obviously like practical mixed with CGI and but it look it feels like everything has weight you know like it's it doesn't feel like in a uh like event horizon when they go in zero g and like it, you're like it's just cgi shit floating on the screen <laughs> like this feels yeah. like things have weight and they're moving or like yeah. when uh sally hawkins eliza's character is floating and comes on down and she just kind of lands on the couch like oh it feels like she's actually doing that or it's some sort of model um and then we get like kind of the the uh the richard jenkins narration over it of just like well i could tell you about the time uh, it was long ago. I could tell you about the place. It happened far ago. It happened. It happened in a place on the coast near the water, but not near anything. However, Baltimore is near everything. Growing yeah, up near Baltimore. Baltimore is near DC. You know, yeah, lots, it, they lots even say it. it's near DC, Annapolis, <laughs> like Virginia. It's near everything. But yeah. it's it's kind of going into that like fantasy. Oh, it's the kingdom all the way over on the other side of the world. Well, it's, it's the 1960s, you know, and it's what I find neat about the soundtrack. And I'm glad you called that out. Is it's it's not the soundtrack of the 50s and early 60s you would expect. It's not doo-wop. It's not Elvis. There's none of that. It's almost the rejection of that. It's like no got to play my Lawrence Welk and I got to, you know, I got to have that big band kind of thing going on because that's wholesome. And I think it's funny that that sort of wholesomeness is laid around when in the opening scene, we meet our mute first character who has a habit of um, masturbating to an egg timer while her lunch cooks on the, on the uh, stove. That, that that says a lot um, very early on about what this movie is going to be. And I thought, Okay, I mean, I, I I didn't remember that. Again, I told you this movie self erases. But when that started again, I was like, oh, that this is right. She just this like early on. I was like, okay, so I, I'm trying to unravel the Eliza character. It almost here. like slaps you in the face. Like it, I remember when I, I saw that in I saw that in theaters, and I had it that moment through all preconceived notions that I had of the movie because it's like, oh. Uh, like, because yeah. she sets the egg timer, like, oh, she's going to enjoy your bath. And then it's she not slaps subtle. that leg up there. And it's like, I had the subtitles on because like the, the TV, mm -hmm. I couldn't quite hear it. And it's like the subtitles, like water splashing rhythmically and quickly. And I'm like, oh, that's gross. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, well, it's not, it's not what you expect. And that's what I think is this movie is trying to undermine your expectations of what you think you're going to get. You're going to get this creature feature love story but actually what you're going to get is this story about really broken people and i want to posit a theory to you that none of this is real none of this happens mike this is all this illustrator's fantasies about the people around him um i i firmly believe you can make a case for that because some of the crazy stuff that happens in this movie could only happen in the mind of this giles character and and i'll, I'll just say right now Richard Jenkins steals this movie. Uh, he, he and Octavia, Octavia Spencer really does, but she's more comic relief. Richard Jenkins steals this movie. 
as this closeted, struggling advertising illustrator. You can tell he's this creative guy who is really buttoned up by the time he lives in, and he just doesn't know how to deal with it. He can't deal with his own identity and all this other stuff. And I think what we are hearing is finally in life, he figured out, like a lot of authors at that time, they didn't make it until late in life. He finally started writing stuff people wanted to read. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the kind of pulpy, sort of sleazy stuff that a guy like him would write about. And I mean, who's to say he didn't have a mute neighbor that he could hear chilling off, you know, next door. <laughs> and, and he had another set of neighbors that were, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, Ozzy and Harriet, but they were African-American, you know, and all these other people that he just would meet here and there and the guy at the diner and all this other. I don't know. I, I'm putting a big, big, you know, push out there. That this movie is very different than what it proposes to be, but watching it now again for the second time, I thought, I, I feel like this is all Richard Jenkins is like fantasy in some way. I, I don't know. What do you think? It's a very interesting theory. Uh, I, I do. Like, I never considered that, but I do, I, I am, la- I, I have been latching onto the idea that this is a story of broken people and like uh, outcasts and rejects of society. Yeah. And, and every, in every capacity because. Yeah, they all are. That's the thing. Even like the general and the colonel and all those people, they're all screw ups in some way. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because, uh, you know, well, when we, you know, we, we the whole thing, because I was going to say, I, I really, that solidified for me when we get to the lab when all you like all the scientists are just white men like anyone in power is white men and it's all the minorities it's all the women who are uh, doing like the menial lower task and they're just looked down upon everyone yeah. and like yeah. and this and like the bumbling white white men and caught in their arrogance and and hubris are just like oh it's these fucking people are not going to do anything um i do want to say like the like there are like some weird details that are like thrown in here too especially like the one that i noticed which I feel like is some homage to some like fifties painting or something when Elijah Eliza's getting on the bus and there's like the fat guy with, with uh, the, the piece of cake with, which is missing one slice and he's holding balloons. I'm like, that's gotta be some sort of painting that I don't know about, or it's like some photograph of like a dude waiting at a bus stop. I, like it's like, a, or, or like the detail of uh, like the line. Oh, like right before, um, uh the giles character go or giles character goes uh i think it's the second like when he turns his jello green and he's like oh and she's eating cornflakes oh cornflakes were made to to stop people from masturbating it didn't work i was like oh uh, <laughs> okay and, and i took that as like yeah. when he gets nervous he just has like that's his tick is he just like keeps talking and it's just word vomit but yeah. it, there's like details like that scattered through the movie and i was like okay oh, okay like i am I, I like weird details like that i think it adds personality but just like it, it's just these things that i'm noticing and i'm like oh, okay all right well, well let me jump in on your cake thing I, I i think what that is 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 that the metaphor of this movie is that everybody is missing something right okay. and you can waste all your time trying to find it or you can just be happy with the pieces that you got because one thing about the guy with the cake with the missing piece in the balloons is he looks kind of happy Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that she, Eliza's character is such that she has these three scars in her neck. We don't know what it's for. We, we kind of hear through exposition throughout that she was found by an orphanage that by a river bank when she was you know, just a young kid or a baby or whatever. And she's never been able to talk, but she can sign language. That's how she speaks and she can hear perfectly. Um, and so she clearly misses the, the being the fullness of a person, right. To be able to communicate the way that the rest of us do right even though she's in 
a, a field that no one talks to. And I have some personal uh, re relationship with this. I used to do commercial cleaning back in the day and I worked in a government facility, not like, <laughs> not, you know, air force, or, but it was where they were working on like top secret stuff. And it, the way that they portray how these women just are able to go in and out and they talk to these people and stuff. That's how it is. People get to know you and you just have the run of the place. <laughs> and it's not that I would have ever done anything because literally they were constantly watching everybody in that place. So you, I, I didn't, I didn't know what the heck they were working on. I didn't want to know, but you could just strike up conversations with people in that, that building. And they would just talk to you like, Hey, how's it going to them doing good? How are you? You know? And they would be like, Hey, can you come over here and help us do this extra stuff? Like they were always doing that, but there was always that one person in, in supervision that treated you like absolute dirt <laughs> and the way Strickland treats them and stuff is I was like, Oh, flashbacks. <laughs> like I have felt that. And I want to, I want to say it's neat though that Del Toro decided to use that as his, our character entries and as a kind of the framing device for these people is that they're the eyes and ears of everything, but they're so inconsequential and nobody sees them coming and nobody pays any attention to them, which is how they're able to pull this off to begin with. Uh, but I mean, he's telling us a lot in these first several minutes. She's in water, Mike, when she's enjoying herself. All right. Oh, yeah. Uh, pleasuring herself. Yep. Saw that right away. The first time, the first time they get that creature in that big tube, and they're going to load him into the little pool or whatever they've got going on there. He's not reacting to anybody until she gets close to that glass. And I said to myself, I was like, if you're watching this movie and in 20 minutes in, you haven't figured out she's one of them that somehow survived on land this long. Yeah, that Exactly. If you haven't figured that out already, you're not paying attention to this movie. This movie is telling you how it is going to end 20 minutes into it. Like, uh, yeah, immediately. And like, like, we're like, we're jumping around, a like, just focusing on Eliza. Um, I, I didn't see exactly how it was going to end. Like, I'll just say it with that. But I, when they said, oh, you're an orphanage by the river, I was like, oh, she's one of them. You know, nice. she's she's like the next evolution step or like the drastic step or something I'm like, OK, like this is clearly like she's she's associated in some capacity, especially because she, you know, takes she uh, takes a lot like a like an immediate fancy to the creature like right away. Like it's not like it's not it's not even like a curiosity it's oh i see this as like almost like a like a fellow like a, a like a kinship you know you know and, and it's and it just stems from you know oh, it's an attraction it's yeah. like an immediate like boom sparks fly and and more than that it's like this deep metaphysical thing because he can't talk neither can she so they they sign together and she soothes him with music and she teaches him little things and like they figure she figures out more about him than any of the researchers working on him which i do find is funny like that's the story right is all these people are poking and prodding this thing and they can't learn anything about it and all she does is feed it a couple of hard boiled eggs and Plus all of a sudden, music, yeah. Yeah. And, and some music and all of a sudden she's got him, you know, down. And I, I, I do want to say this, the creature design in this is fantastic. Like it looks great. And I don't know how much of that is practical, how much of it is CGI on top of whatever suit Doug Jones is wearing, but it, I, I know the eyes are, are definitely CGI and stuff, but 
that is a great looking suit and it it really works in in the frame and at no time am i like taken aback like oh it's just a guy in a rubber suit like it actually looks good it's it's a more evolved abe sapien and yeah and and the thing about and like i love doug jones i think he's one of the greatest like performance actors i think he's a and i love him as abe sapien um and and i and, and you know, and uh, other bit roles like I follow him on Instagram. I love seeing the content that he makes. He's just so wholesome. You know, I, I think of him as like the zombie from Hocus Pocus, like Eddie or whatever. Then I mean, he'll always be the Silver Surfer for me. But what Silver Surfer, <laughs> Surfer. He was in Buffy. He was one of the. Uh, yeah. He was one of the one of the uh, the uh, the gentlemen. Yeah, that's oh, it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so he, I, I've seen him, and I think he he's just like really. Like he's just has his commands, his presence. I really love the suit. However, I think the eyes kind of kill it for me though. Cause I, I think they're like, this eyes are obviously CGI and they're trying to like, I guess show emotion with it. But I felt like Abe Sapien had more emotion in those. I mean, yeah, they had some CGI with just like the eyelids blinking, but I felt like Abe Sapien just had so minimalist movement with his face, but it's the performance of Doug Jones. Like, cause yeah. he knows I think he was, he was, he had to definitely be like a mime or something. Like he knows how to get the subtle details of, of body performance. And, and and I'm going to come back to that moment a little bit later, but I I love Doug Jones. I love the suit. I love the way it looks. He just, you know, his, his, he's like this tall, lanky, uh, but also like built, like he kind of is built like a run, like a cross country runner and just very thin, very tall, um, and I just, I, you know, I just I, love the, I mean, you, you know, better than me, but he looks like a big swimmer to me, you know I mean? He's that long, yeah, he could be like a muscles. distant swimmer. I see yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, he's that long muscles, you know, he's lean, but he's, but he's fit. Like, like what you're saying, I'm telling you, man, it, it is this suit, this look is if they had had that kind of money when they made creature from the black lagoon, it would have looked like that. <laughs> Cause the face is the same. It's, I mean, it is dead. And yeah, everything. All, yeah. The web, all of it. And, and again, you know, I just watched that movie, you know, uh, several months ago to review it, but it's still fresh in my brain. And I, I'm like, cause once you see that, you just can't forget it, you know? And, and this is the same thing. And I'm like, you know what, what I love about this is del Toro, isn't going to jaws this for us he's not going to hide it it's we got to get this out of the way because what he is telling you is that the story is not about that there's a, a fish monster like let's just accept that and move on it's about that the fish monster is just as incomplete and broken as all these fucked up people in this movie and and that's what's funny is that the evolved humanoid that can heal itself and heal you and grow your hair back, which by the way you can come hit me on that one. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm going even that thing though is incomplete in some way, like mm-hmm. it, it, because Eliza completes it, and and it's I don't know I I just find that so it's kind of wickedly funny a little bit. It also means that Del Toro is mixing two things that I haven't seen mixed real well before serious adult themed drama with like kids cartoon level resolution like that's hard to do and it not just not work you know what i mean yeah um before we get more into that too i also want to met like octavia spencer love her character as oh, she's um, the best as zelda zelda delilah she is so good she oh. I, I she th- their pairing kind of reminds me of like forrest gump and bubba except yes. instead of talking about shrimp she's talking about brewster yes, and how much her husband is just this lazy sack of shit and uh <laughs> and i and i love it i i just and 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 i love how she's the she is the voice 
uh, at work uh, for um, for uh, Sally Hawkins' character because or Eliza because I, I I love when like Strickland played by Michael Shannon, which I'll talk to I'll talk about in like a quick second. I love when he's kind of interviewing just because he's had a security for this creature and he's interviewing them. He's, you know, very misogynistic, just like even just like, oh, you're Delilah oh, it's from the Bible. Oh, yeah. Like, here's the negative connotation of that. Oh, my. And I love how she she gives it back, but not enough. That's, you know, poking and prodding. It's oh my I guess my mother didn't in a. Didn't read the good book deep, uh, more thorough enough or deep enough. Or well, you, what she knows is that she knows that in 1962, as much as she would like to speak back to him and stuff, she can't. Like she, mm-hmm. she really can't. Like this is before the civil rights movement. It's actually the beginning of the civil yeah. rights movement in America. But she is someone who would have come out of a time and era when she knows her place. And I don't mean that in a racist way. I'm not trying to be racist, but that's wh- who she is at this point. And she is, you know, she's a woman in her late thirties, early forties. She, she, this is her life. Like her, the best she's ever going to have it is working in that government facility for goodness sakes, you know, and coming home to that husband that won't ever talk to her, you know, and she's just, it, what you can also realize is like, he may never talk, but she probably never shuts up. And that's what you love about her is that she's, she's flawed in her own way because of that. But she is, she's Eliza's voice, but she's also, um, I mean, you see the deep care she has for this other person because they don't talk about it any, but I kind of wonder like, did, did she have a kid that didn't make it or something like mm-hmm. that? And that she wasn't able to have children anymore or something, you know, something horrible happened. You know, you don't know, you, you, you can fill it in, but she kind of feels like, like, Oh, this is my little baby sister. This could be my daughter. You know, like she takes care of Eliza in such that same way, even though like Sally Hawkins, isn't that much younger than Octavia Spencer in her life. She just kind of looks at it. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's not as uh, domineering as Octavia Spencer. And, but Octavia Spencer's real role in this, and this is what her genius is, is how friggin' funny she is, man. And her timing for comedy is so good. Oh, like, yeah. It always has been. And I mean, you can go back to watch her in SWAT when she is giving <laughs> it to LL Cool J and Samuel L. Jackson. It's funny as hell. Or Spider Man. In Spider Man, exactly. Or bit, yes. bit, or bit all, part. All these bit parts for years until she finally made it, thank God. And you see her, and it's like, this woman is funny. Like, she is really funny. Can we get her more work, please? Because I like her and everything she does. I've seen her, I've seen almost anything she's done where she's leading. I saw Ma, that was really disturbing, but she was great in it. Um, but no, she is fun in this. Um, and of all of our incomplete characters, she may be the most complete because she's kind of resolved to where her lot in life is. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes her different and probably gives her confidence that no one else in the movie has because she just knows for a for a middle-aged black woman in the 60s, this is about as good as it's going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not going to mess this up. Yeah, okay, I'll take that. And then when, when the guy walks out the room, like, you can't tell me what to do. You know, she's <laughs> going to give it back to him because that's what we all do, right? When you're, oh, not yeah. a, when you're not in a position of a power, you shut up until you can't anymore mm-hmm. right and that that's what's fun i know you said you were going to bring him up a minute i gotta i gotta do it right now the cartoon villain that oh, michael yep. shannon is playing in this is friggin' hilarious man Can't perfect amount of camp and he like he and he knows what he's playing and he delivers it perfectly perfectly like even just from like his first like 
the first interaction with the two when with with the whole uh oh man doesn't wash his hand twice it's a it's a it's a weakness in character he washes his hands before he takes a piss it's like no oh, i'm good you got you ladies have a fine day i'm like this is the perfect introduction for michael shannon and i think he was coming hmm. off a uh, man of steel for zod so he, yeah. he so he's play, he's always back-to-back villains and he plays it perfectly I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, I've seen him play like a notorious hitman. Oh yeah. Iceman. Play, yeah. yeah Iceman. Yeah. I've seen him play all these people, which Richard Kluklinski is just a, the friggin' Satan walking the earth, man. And he, he nailed that dude uh, down. But at, what what is neat about Strickland's character is it's all the metaphors in his fingers. So what we find out early is he has, he runs a foul of the monster and uh, Doug Jones either bites or chops off two of his fingers. Uh, and one of them is the ring finger and, and Eliza finds it and she finds the ring. So they sew these fingers back on and the, the pinky one is, is probably not going to make it. So they just knuckled that one. But the third one is hanging in there and it looks okay for a little while, but as he, progresses through the movie mike i don't know if you noticed or not oh and yeah the deeper and the darker he gets that finger just rocks. oh i noticed the necrosis black. as a nurse i was the first yeah. thing i noticed i was like jesus rip that shit off that doesn't why'd you even attach it <laughs> well in the 1960s i mean he was he was an air force or army colonel or whatever man he's good he's gonna demand some some you know freaking service or whatever but I, his whole persona about i'm the man and I, I just want people, the women around me to be silent and everything to the point that like he goes home and he's like, I think I deserve a new car. And his wife's like, yes, you do, baby. And she strips for him and they're having sex, you know, and he's trying to get her to shut up the whole time. And like, she's screaming his name. Like, it's what every guy wants. And he's like, no, just no word, no, no words. And I'm like, yeah, silence. This, guy, this guy is so, he is so unbelievably domineering but he's not vicious in the the character way that you expect he's just a complete asshole you know yeah and, and even like, yeah and even yeah. that silence bit well it's funny well it's not funny but like how he even like his right like they finds his rings like oh yeah thanks i'll take that back but and then the general calls and he has that like completely misogynistic like oh well it's whatever i got my thumb my my trigger finger my pussy finger and it's like right. not my ring finger like i don't care and and then yeah. i took this like oh silence when he's having sex with his wife is i'm thinking of eliza now exactly because yeah he I, even like, comes on to her later for that my perfect yeah. woman doesn't talk like yeah. and there she is you know and that's right. that's how i took that of like he just well, he, even when he's with his wife who he's like had kids with it's like mm-hmm. it's it's picket fence uh uh suburbia well yeah, you uh, can tell stereotype. Like, he's he cares about his kids but he also wishes they would just shut up and not talk to him anymore like he really like the many times this man runs away <laughs> Like I can't deal with this anymore, and he's got what we say. What he's got, what you want, right, or what we thought we wanted at that point in life, but he doesn't want any of it. It's amazing. What what I think is funny is when uh, uh, Nick Cersei comes in. He plays the the five star general, and the way that that guy carries himself around, and then you see him contrasted to to Strickland, like general hoyt is what real power and leadership is he makes a decision and he moves on and he bumps you up and you make your decision and you move on you got this right okay he doesn't him and haul around he doesn't say stuff he doesn't need to and whereas strickland is always talking some shit about something right and he's always exerting power over those who are powerless to do anything about it at least at that time cattle prods the friggin creature i'm like dude the last thing you want to do is get next to an alien and hit it with some electricity you don't know what's going to happen but whatever was well, even like he, oh you want my other fingers and then and he ta- yeah. and he takes a bite and then he 
yeah. cattle prods him. Exactly. I mean, like he is he is constantly I mean, he but the thing about him, and this is this is something I would ding the movie for is like I would have liked it better if he had a redeemable quality, if he had actually been really caring and loving with his family. You would have felt something different when you like saw him at work. And it's like, oh, this man just sort of flips it on and off, you know, like, oh, that's got to be hard on his psyche. Like you could almost feel for him a little bit to make him so two dimensional. And like I say, cartoon villainy, it's like, well, man, I'm waiting for this guy to die like the whole movie, you know, and and, and that's sad because I shouldn't want to root against this dude, because in a lot of ways, he's not entire. I mean, yes, his attitude about life is wrong. But the way he does his job, he's not wrong. His job is to find that creature, figure out what it is, and when the when his superiors tell him to get rid of it, buddy, you get rid of it. And I mean, he's just following orders in a lot of ways. And I, I wish yeah. I wish we had had a little bit more of him, um, it, where he wasn't such a jerk. And and I'll tell you what why why I think it's not there because we have this friggin' subplot with this double agent shit going on. And that's the part of the movie, Mike, that I, I, it's nothing against the actor and, and the whole idea. It's just, I'm like, I didn't need the Americans in the middle of this. Like, this is not, this too much shit going on in this little simple movie. Yeah. We didn't need like beginnings of the cold war Soviet era. We, we need the space age, the space race shit. And, and like, that's the thing with Strickland. Like I, I, there are definitely things that I think could improve that. I think that's a good, a good, a good first example of you know yeah turning it off like turning that switch off and on and then going to work and then seeing that degradation of of like towards the end where he's busting into uh zelda's house and like demanding where this creature is like i'm gonna kill you if you don't tell me where it is you know i think that would be more tragic and just like obsession and we do and i think it's it would if we could get a little bit more exposition not even exposition just a little bit more character between him and the creature because we get these lines of oh i dragged this son of a bitch back from south america some river in south america which, which is a nod to the yep. creature from the white Lagoon. it's an ode to that so I, yep. i'm like oh, i see i see you guillermo i'm hearing you oh yeah no i I picked that up right away too, but he, but it's like, that's it. Like, that's the history of, he's like, Oh, we didn't like each other on the way back here. I'm like, well, were you torturing him the whole time? Like, why don't you stick him in a tank and be like, like my job's done. Like we got him here. I'm head of security. Cause I got this idea that he was just like fucking with him the whole time. Like being this macho man, like, uh, I got the better of you, man. I'm smarter than you, you ape. Uh, or, well, you he, know he was. You know because he, he was. even because he even has that idea of like, is that creature made in the Lord's image? Like he looks. It's uh, Zelda. Says, I don't know what he looks like. He looks like me. He looks like he looks human. Could look like you. Yeah, probably more like me. So he's saying, I'm God. I'm yeah. I'm God. Yeah. And and I and I, it's it's interesting. Just you can either go like the complete cartoon, like mustache twirling villain, or. I don't think either one were. I'm glad it went one way as opposed to just being like at home. It's like, oh, I'm the family man. And then at work, he's just like this evil son of a bitch. Uh, but it well, is it was, what I'm be. arguing is that it, it would be more it would be more tragic and more interesting mm-hmm. if he was a good man, a good family man. It was just a hard ass military guy at work. You can kind of buy it. And again, I, I like just in your mind, cut out the Soviet subplot for me. Oh, yeah. And and the inciting incident is I'm supposed to get rid of this thing and you, you mofo stole it and I'm coming after you to get it. You, you could exercise about 25 minutes out of the movie, which would make it work a little faster. And he, you still end in the same spot. He still rolls up on the dock and shoots everybody. Like you don't need this Soviet spy 
Dr. Hofstetler um, scientist who also aids and abets the escape because he all he does is is trank out that that one guard right which they could have figured out another way for richard spencer yeah. to get around him like you don't need that if anything zelda could have come behind him and hit him with a broom you know or something yeah, it, yeah. The, the soviet stuff doesn't really add it doesn't even add like an interesting like mystery to it because it ultimately just okay they're going to kill the creature you should kill the creature but we don't need a double oh two people are going to kill the creature because we already have someone right. who's, like there's already agency to the scene they're already going to kill yeah. the creature. We don't need two people trying to kill him. If, if you want to be subversive, they're going to help them escape. Like mm-hmm. that would have been subversive if you want to tell that story. And look, let's not kid ourselves. There were Russian spies all over this country. You know, and by the way, there were American spies all over Russia too. Oh yeah. So at the time, like we know this now, this is well documented. It's part of the tradecraft of of the time. We were all you know spying on each other's stuff because we were paranoid about each other, and for good reasons because we were about to nuke each other at one point. Like that was that was a real thing, man. I, I Mike, I'm a little older. I remember growing up with like the films in elementary school about when the Russians attack. When the Russians attack, <laughs> this is what to do. Like we, yeah, you know, we Lewis Black up, had a good bit on that with the yeah. nuclear holocaust cost yeah yeah get under the desk <laughs> you sit here it's like yeah what did he what do you say he's like oh the school's on fire the teacher's <laughs> thrown against the blackboard there's monkeys and goats flying around and then there's the children hiding <laughs> safely under their desks playing right. writing poetry and playing the guitar exactly. and yeah i've seen i haven't lived through that but i've but, seen but, those but I'm, I'm saying but yeah kind, yeah that kind of paranoia is a very real thing and this is the the beginning of it so if you're going to shove it in your movie and i'm, I'm arguing you don't need it but mm-hmm. if you're going to put it in there then make them be part of like an integral part of the good escape like i said the the monster doesn't need more people trying to kill it everybody's trying to kill it except eliza basically yep so and then she's just trying to fuck it so i mean oh, let's, yeah yeah that's so damn sure. I, mean, I mean yeah it, that's all she thinks about and i hate to be crass about it but i'm like i don't I, I, again the the purpose of that is for us to realize like she's one of them and she knows it she just doesn't possess the ability to say it and there's no sign language for i'm one of the sea monsters you know so like she can't figure that out and, and I, I don't know, again, I didn't need the Russian subplot to make this work. And, and, I, and I'll say that firmly, finally here, that Michael Sturbarge does a good job in, in his role. But his handlers and that whole bit, we could have just done without. And, and this movie still works. And, and it still gets to where it wants you to get to is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and it and, and almost feels like he's in this, this, this movie because at the end, we get another violent, gruesome scene when he gets shot, gets shot through the, the mouth. And my, and um, Michael Shannon puts his finger through that and dr- his bullet hole in his cheek and drags him, you know, just like this is like, w- like weirdly violent. And like, oh, you're like wincing in your seat, just watching it. But um, yeah, but since we're talking about the escape. Uh, what did you have to think about her big monologue, which I thought was a really I, I liked it. It's in the trailer and stuff. And I thought this would this could this was a really interesting idea of an entire monologue that wasn't spoken. How I would have changed it was I wouldn't have had um, Richard Jenkins say it like I would yeah. just have him responding to it because it because him giving voice to it. Oh, I mean, I guess she says give my words voice so they have more weight yeah she tells him to yeah but i i almost liked it more when he just responded to it and i read it because it's it's like her lack of voice like it's 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 how she's acting in the frantic movements like that is the voice 
it's one of the two times in the movie that I really think everything in the movie totally works. And particularly the, the Sally Hawkins character and her performance works as this mute girl, right? The other time is when she's being interviewed and she's being told to go away because she's just a you know lowly you know person and she sign language is F you to Strickland and he doesn't know what it is and she keeps doing it to him. Well she she know, he knows, but he doesn't know. He, does, he doesn't know? know, but he knows it's not what you know uh, Octavia Smith you're saying. It's like, oh thank you. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. yeah, he knows. But I love that. I think and I love the fact that she is trying to tell her best friend. And that's who Giles is, is. That's her platonic best friend. And she's telling him what she wants and what she needs from him. And he's so fraught with emotion. He just can't handle himself right, you know. And then he kind of pulls it together. And he's like, okay. Yeah, I, I like I, I like I like what you're saying. It would have been neat if he just reacted to it. But in some way, I'm kind of glad he gives it vo a voice. Because when she can hear it in her head, it doesn't make her go like, this is nuts. It makes her go like, yeah, this is a really good plan. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of fun. That the crazy person who's making crazy <laughs> decisions and the, the rational person she's telling it to, um, he doesn't, it, one, she doesn't talk him out of it. And two, when she hears her plan back to herself, she goes, yeah, yeah, I can go for that. Yeah. And I, and I do like, like, I do love that moment of, when she like she smacks the wall and he's like it's not even human like why are you even worrying about this and she says if we don't if we do nothing then we aren't either and i really love that line he says oh what whatever and then we get the whole because he's wearing the toupee it's his disguise he's incomplete goes back to, well he, he goes with his green jello more happy drawing and they say nope we don't want this you know so, sorry um you're gay we, you're a closet homosexual we don't want this or he's been drank both and like you're just an embarrassment to us like just go away well, it's goes, ultimate rejection is what's happening oh yeah again. and then yeah. goes and then goes back to dixie dukes which i was like oh okay uh very <laughs> kind of i just I, I just thought of you know kkk almost immediately and um and he's you know kind of hitting on the uh this this waiter who's also putting on this this ruse of oh it's like i'm from ottawa uh this is just you know they were franchising it's what kfc did you know we're franchising and then uh he which first off i was like how can this dude not pick up that this other dude is picking is trying to pick up on him and is like throwing all of these like i'm gay are you gay well, like he's, I, I he's think hitting he on is. him i think he is i think once giles realizes that he gets scared because it's never worked on someone before i think that's what we're seeing is that like oh oh okay and he doesn't know how to deal with it i think that's what's the, the kind of the sweet part of that character and it's why i like the jenkins performance so much is i think it's the first time that's worked on someone and he's like oh 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 i don't know how to handle it I, I can't deal with that right now and like he sort of puts his own emotions aside because he's he and zelda share one thing in common they will put aside their own needs and wants to make sure eliza is taken care of mm -hmm. and that she has what she needs and he, he and that moment realizes like oh i can finally have you know someone to connect to but my friend is needs me desperately because she's about to do something real stupid and i need to be there for her. like i i think what you're seeing is him coming to to terms of like oh oh i didn't realize any oh there's another one like i think at the time you gotta imagine 1962 that was not a comfortable identity to have oh yeah and no way and so if someone else reciprocated that in in baltimore maryland not <laughs> la baltimore that's not 
a town where you would get away with that without well, something yeah, that happened to you. It's definitely you know? interesting too because well, I, I the guy doesn't well because the black couple walks in. He's like, nope, get out. Yeah, they it's, break it, it up. Yeah, yeah, get out. He's like, oh, but there's no one here. It's like, nope, they're all they're, every table's reserved. Get out. And it's like, well, you got to leave too. This is a fa- this is a family establishment. And that I took as the only person that I'm going to have is is uh, Eliza. And I'm gonna go help her out because he comes back and says, "All right, let's let's go break this break this guy out." And yeah, because uh, yeah, what he realizes is the only other person in town in this military town is this racist guy. Oh no, I'm just, you know I ain't that bad off. So yeah, I got the egg timer. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then I guess we get like the whole break. What do you think of the whole like breakout sequence? Oh man, I thought it was a blast. I had mm-hmm. fun with it. I mean, I, I really did. And and what you, you know, as Strickland kind of unravels it and figures it out, you know, he makes some anti-Semitic things because obviously the Russians have helped them with that, with the blowing the circuit and all that stuff. But I love how they've worked it all out. Like the camera's going, we're going to turn the camera the other way. Nobody's going to notice. And he's going to be able to get through. And the part of it that's the weakest part is the fake ID, which I'll give that soldier credit for going like something right about this. And he rubs the ink on it. And it's like, aha. Yeah, and that's when he knows. But um, I liked it. I thought it was fun. It's it's where there's like genuine tension. You're like, how are they going to get this thing out of there? And then when they do, what are they going to do with it? You yeah. know, like what what's the plan? And and I love that once they get it out, they have to put it in the tub, and she realizes, oh, salt water, and she has to pour all this table salt, which by the way is not the same as the salt in the ocean. Yeah. Okay. If you need a little iodized salt, then fine. So <laughs> that that gets you through. But um, I. I did. I thought that was some good comedy, especially when she like pours the salt halfway out and Richard Spencer's pointing at it. She's like, yeah, no, right. Oh, and it's mm-hmm. on the floor. I, I, I thought that was neat, but I liked the breakout. I thought it was fun. It's the, it's the, it's the useful action scene in this movie. And yeah. I love the fact the big the biggest part is that Giles being such a clutch runs into the Colonel's brand new Cadillac and just yep, destroys the, it. What 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 do they what do they call um, mint green or something it's like teal. that? It's teal. Teal, yeah. Yeah, it's not green, it's teal. Because green teal. is the is the monster's color and it's mm-hmm. teal. Like he cannot possibly be identified with this thing because again, he's a cartoon villain. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, I like the that, that whole escape sequence too. It's very it's exciting, you know, we're cut it's a great pacing, great editing um lots of like it's the right amount of tension without feeling forced you know um and yeah i i it's there's not much to say other than it works i like i like the whole sequence and you know getting the getting the creature back into the tub and you know then him them kind of acclimating him to like not a tank world you know and and a city at that because he goes from the amazon to a tank like this 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 in the industrial mechanized area with a chain around his neck to uh, a home, a, a bathtub, yeah. and, I, and I do really like those moments. Uh, you know, we get the 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 the, car- the which I didn't think would be a comedic moment when he eats the cat and scratches Giles. Uh, and I was like, oh shit, he killed him, and right? and then down and then goes into the um into the movie theater. And I was like, oh, sh-. And, and I was also like, oh, they found him pretty quickly, but uh, I, I did not expect comedy to come from any of those sequences no and what, what's funny later is like you know the way giles just sort of recognizes well he, he didn't know what it was he thought it was you know the thing hissed at him he used to, like he's sort of talking himself out of it as eliza's kind of bandaging his arm and over there's the monster put, petting the cat and he's like okay no, no more petting the kid he's like he trusts him he's like no it's okay i'm not mad and and i, and I love that, that's when the monster reveals its real power the monster we should say the creature reveals its real power as it starts doing that glow thing and it 
it, you'll put your hand on my head. I'll put my hand on your head. I'm going to grow your hair back for you. And I'm going to heal your scar. Um, and so it's like, wow, it's magical now. And now I'm like, okay, this movie just stepped over a different line now. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I wasn't ready for that because so much of this had been grounded in heightened reality. As a matter of fact, the only thing that wasn't, you know, remotely realistic was the creature and that had been played off so well that i was willing to go with it now though they took it to a different level as we head into the third act and i was like okay how am i gonna react to that like what is that does, does this pay off does it work and immediately the first thing in my mind because again i i had forgotten everything about this movie mike and up until how it ended and i was like well obviously that's going to come in useful later and he's going to have to heal her from some horrific thing oh, probably because yeah. strickland's going to shoot her and as if on cue 20 minutes later that's exactly <laughs> what happened <laughs> um i do want to talk so we get that whole thing now i want to talk about uh kind of the kind of the, the two i feel like what more one famous scene and then the more like maybe not infamous is too strong of a word i want to talk about the um the the flooding of the um of the bathroom so that's the scene that del toro supposedly did as a child he was in a a walk-in shower and he and it, it the door opened in towards the shower so he he stuffed the the holes or like the with towels down there and he filled it up and he was like, oh, this is really cool. And he's like swimming in it. And then it got like past his shoulders. And he's like, oh, shit, how am I going to open the door? Because the pressure was pushing the door. And so he stopped the water and he was like calling for his dad. And his dad walked in and like the water's like kind of shooting like it is with the door here. It's like shooting off. And 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 they opened and they had to open the door. Oh, well, he didn't think to unplug the drain. So they <laughs> so I think he opened the door and all the water spilled out. And he's like, yeah, my dad was pretty pissed that I did that as anyone would be but right. it's funny that like he he pulls that moment from his childhood and puts it into this movie and it's a great v- visual of this movie oh, oh it's it's this it's the second neatest visual next to the very end one which is the cover of the thing um and and i i liked it i liked the water dance and that's I when i th- and that's when i yeah. thought like she's totally one of these things yeah right because like, she's completely naked in the yeah. she's she's not she's naked with him and it's this whole thing i'm like she's one of them and i and i just love you know the camera her actually having to breathe and going down and he's just kind of like oh this is neat like because i got the impression that he was alone like the creature from black lagoon he had never he's never swam with anyone at least on that level you know he may have been you know reaching for the natives but like always always afraid to touch them and just kind of like curious but now he has someone with him the water dance exactly and i really do lo- like love that metaphor and then when uh richard uh if i say uh, richard jenkins comes in and it's like what the and it's 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 flo- it's it's flooding the theater below and they're like what the hell's going on he's Eli- eliza and then opens and he and just water is pouring through the door I'm like oh that's like really cool i really like this sequence and then he opens the door and she's standing there hugging standing there and he's like his, his bl- the blue of his i mean his healing powers but i think that's him just like the more that's that's him in his natural state when he's well, I, th- I think content. that's also him incredibly aroused is what we're supposed to read for that because the look she gives richard jenkins is like hey thanks but can you close that door because uh, this because then afterwards <laughs> the it, it, i think when they have sex is after and that 
is a moment in the theater when I sat there. I was like, oh, she fucks the monster. Uh huh. Bestiality. Okay. Like that. Like like when if 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 her masturbating the beginning of the movie like so hard through me that like that just like kind of slapped me like her having sex with this monster or the creature slapped me like they had a, the movie had a dead fish and just like whacked me as hard as they could with it i was like i was not expecting that at all i i wasn't either until I, again it's the second watch of this now and this time through and again as the movie is re invigorating in my memory of itself i'm going like well okay a minute i said earlier on like if 20 minutes into this you hadn't figured out she's one of them you know or whatever this is the home run point of it it's supposed to shock you like oh my god she's having sex with the fish man but what you're supposed to realize is like the fish man found one of his kind she she just doesn't really look like him yet but if you notice they start playing stuff off the more he's outside of the water the more human he acts and the more human he becomes and his fish stuff starts to come off of him, his scales, all that shit. And the, the idea is like, if she had just grown up in the water, like she was supposed to, she probably looked more like him, you know, which Mm -hmm. pays off at the end, which we can get to in a minute. But I'm like, well, if, if you know the secret of the movie, which is that she, you know, is going to go off with him because she's one of them or whatever at the end. Right. Um, That then this, this isn't, shocking at all this is he found his kind she found her kind and i mean think about it though if you take away like their species bits or whatever he can't talk right but he can do everything else he certainly can hear right she can't talk she can do everything else she certainly can hear like they have that one bonding piece is that they communicate only with each other through their you know their eyes and through their their physical touch and all that kind of stuff i, I mean there's something twistedly romantic about all of it um i i do think he gets lost in the fact though that like most normal people and you have the exact right reaction that woman just fucked the fish man and i don't know how to handle that and uh yeah but i mean again if you're paying attention to this movie this movie's told you a lot of things about this woman she's very sexually free she's very confident in her sexuality and i mean she's had a conversation she tells zelda she had sex with the thing before she had sex with it because she knows how it works i mean she you know tells like this is how this goes that, and that, with her hands that, that was enough that that i felt like was del toro laughing at his audience yeah because yes. He, it's like because uh, uh that's the question like, everybody wants to know is because a lot yeah eliza it's the audience like how and she you know, cups her fingers opens them and whoop out, out it comes and i was like yeah oh. i'm like that is del toro laughing at the audience yes. and audience and, and honestly the audience should be laughing like i feel like that is an injure like you should be like you shouldn't be like oh it's gross i mean it is gross but that's a joke like it is it is a joke it, but it, it's doing whatever he knows what everybody in that audience is thinking exactly and, and he gives octavia spencer the lines to say like well how does that even work and and because i don't goes, see a penis oh, hanging like, down yeah exactly well just because it didn't look like us doesn't mean it's not there you know and, and that's what he's trying to get through and it's also another thing for you to know is like she she probably hasn't maybe she looked when he was laying in the tub taking a nap we don't know but the fact that she reveals that mike before she's had sex with him is another clue in the back of her mind biologically she just knows that 
I just know how this thing works, mm-hmm. you know, when she shouldn't, but she knows. It's just another clue that like she's she's one of the amphibian people. Like mm-hmm. y'all, like she just made it onto land and somehow survived. Or, or you know, either that or she was touched by one early on, and that's why she will have the ability to become one. But she knows about them in ways that no one else, no other human knows. And she knows a hell of a lot more about them than any of these, you know, military people do. And that's that's the funny part, is that the two janitor people know a whole lot more about the fish monster than the people studying it yeah and and so i want to transition to um kind of like so the idea is that okay we're gonna dump them out in the in like baltimore harbor when the rains come and they're you know it's the countdown's coming and that's when you know the relationship is is building and stuff and i want to go back to something that she said during her monologue of if we do nothing then we're not human either and it's the it's the idea that he's happy to see me and I want to remember that. Uh, so like he's getting sick and because he's not in his water, like he can switch between breathing apparatuses, but he is more geared towards the river or like the water. He is, he's an amphibian. He, he's an, he's amphibian. Yeah. He's developed into that. So uh, like, you know, the, the rains are getting closer. He's getting sicker. And it's, it's the moment when she, like they're sitting at the table it's it's you know it's it's almost like a it's it's a well it's a kind of warped perception of like husbands at the one end and wife's in the other and he's eating his eggs and, or i think it's eating the eggs like the hard boiled eggs and she's sitting there and it's this very tender moment when she starts to sing i think it's i think the song is how wrong am i it was played earlier in the movie mm-hmm. and she starts like just trying to sing and it's very like this whisper and i'm like Oh, we were getting this very intimate moment, and then it turns into this big song and dance number, which I did not like. But <laughs> I, I it, because I like that like kind of like weird shit, and it's kind of out there. However, like I would have changed it that we just linger on this quiet moment of her trying to talk, like speak for the first time. I think when we transition to this big like song and dance with the creature dancing, like. I like I said, I like that kind of stuff. It's just it's like really weird, but I just think it would have been more effective if we just stayed on this like just focusing on the silence and just her like just trying so hard. Now, what I really this is my biggest issue that I have with this movie. When we pan out from this this uh, this this daydream, this this fantasy that and she's saying like, oh, like, I love you, whatever. And she's trying to finish the song that creature is not looking at her he's looking down at his food and and that to me i'm like oh my god he's an he's a wild animal you know it it solidifies that he's not human he's not like he's he can you know apes and monkeys they and like you know and, and dogs you know animals have these understandings of empathy and basic of like i mean basic emotions because like the frontal cortex however when she's singing to him, this should be a tender moment where even he should be looking up and even if he doesn't understand, he's trying. And Doug Jones is the actor that can even just like in how, and if he's just, you know, active listening, leaning forward, like it just like head tilt. Doug Jones can get that performance down. He's done it before. He doesn't need words. He just needs a little tilt of the head and leaning forward to have the creature not under not understanding what she's saying but understand that she has not been speaking and like suddenly like voice like uh noises are coming out of her mouth 
and with him just looking down and like not even paying attention it, it like cheapens the moment and it almost makes me revert like oh my god he it like undercuts the whole relationship up to that point because the whole time they're building oh he can feel empathy you know he is basic uh he can do basic sign language and uh and, and you know he does have this curiosity and this fascination with her but then that moment to me makes it almost primal in that it's like oh i want to eat like i want to i want to i want to have sex and like uh like there's a feeling about you that i like being around you but it that's it it doesn't extend anything beyond that at this moment in the movie so that's kind of my take on this whole sequence yeah here's my thought exactly was the last thing i needed this movie to do was to turn into friggin la la land and that's what <laughs> it does for a few minutes and i i'm like no wrong wrong impetus wrong movie because none of the emotions there again if if he had just been staring back at her at the end of it you have a sweet tender moment but you don't what you almost have is that it's supposed to give you this moment of like oh maybe she shouldn't go with him because he's just like all the other men in this movie dismissive of her emotions and i'm like if that's what you're trying to say guillermo you fucked it up yeah that is missed really it. really ham-fisted and if you're trying to make us go on this wistful romantic thing what you do is you have her try to get those words out and then you just play the music lightly in the background and you have them stare longingly at each other at the table and then you cut yeah you and, make it a yeah. tender quiet moment much like these two characters you don't go the opposite yeah. like loud like we're gonna be dancing around some stage with to like a fred astaire movie we don't need that and and that's another thing that's weird too because you know we've had those those quiet or those those, those quiet moments of them like kind of mimicking like she goes down the hall after like the boat jangles and shirley temple staircase dance where she kind of mimics it in the hallway you're like, oh, okay and then when they sit down and they do the little dance with their feet you're like okay it's cute but we went from like a one to they cranked it to 11 at that point. And it just like seemingly happens. And yeah. that is like my biggest flaw with this movie, because we don't get that tender. Like she's literally pouring her heart and soul. She's probably never spoke before. And she's trying like exasperating, just trying to get these words out. And she can't, you know, using a voice box that she probably doesn't have if we're going with that theory that she's one of them right and and he's just looking at his fucking eggs and and that's i know that's and that's what i'm saying like it doesn't work if it's supposed to misdirect us from what we already know about the movie it doesn't work and it's it's cheap because then you just reverse course anyway you know in in the last moments of this movie and i i don't know i, I didn't need it it was almost like he wanted something real tender before he did his big action set piece where strickland goes around shooting everybody and you know we're gonna have this bloody shootout with hostetler and his people and and all that in the interrogation and you know he's gonna figure out and and menace the black people so that he can get the information he wants and sure enough strickland's gonna show up on the dock knock giles down and he's going to shoot both of the, the the creature and eliza at the same time but what what i like here is and what is an actually good tender moment is when giles is holding eliza in his arms like he he is genuinely distraught that she is dead you know and he can't handle it and that well i wanted to ask you that though is she dead or is she just dying at that moment oh i think she's dying i don't think she's dead okay um yeah I, I don't think she's dead i don't think the creature has he has regenerative powers but he can't he's not he's not i mean strickland has that line of 
oh my God, you are a God. He, but he's not, you know, it, he, and, and that, you know, the reversal of, oh, the Lord looks like me and oh you like, oh, these, these tribal people, they worship him like a God and he's no fucking God. And oh, you are a God. I, I didn't take it that he can reanimate dead people or dead right. things, but, but I didn't think she was dead. I think she was like okay. clinging to life. Like I think she was yeah. almost dead. And then he comes in and, and brings it back. Well, I mean, I do, I do like that at the end, I mean, Strickland gets what we want him to get at that point. It's why I think it's like, if you're, when you're rooting for the amphibian to heal itself, to go up and to slash the man's throat out so he can have a vicious, bloody, gory death. I'm like, well, that would have meant something if I cared about Strickland at all, but I've been wanting him dead since the first time I saw it. So I, you know, that you feel nothing for that character. And that's what undercuts the emotional tension is I don't have a rah, rah, like, yeah, the good guy won. Cause I don't really know what the amphibians politics are. So I don't know if it's, if it's on my side or not, doesn't seem to be on the human side at all. And, and it kills, yes, the, the evil human in the movie, but I, I don't feel anything for that because it's not really what the scene's about either. The scene's about him grabbing her and jump literally jumping in the river with her healing her and revealing what we've known all along putting his hand on those three scars so that those gills pop out and you're like oh see she knew he knew now it's not weird anymore right thing i mean that's literally the end of this movie is her her dancing with one foot in the air in love in the water and now it's not weird right yeah that's like and like i said in the beginning when i uh when I first watched this movie, I, like like we said, I knew she was somehow related, but I did not predict that those were going to turn into gills. When I was like, how is she? I'm like, oh, she's just going to like breathe and it'll be fine. And then when those those scars turn into gills, I was like, oh, because I was going under the impression, not so like I liked your idea more that she evolved for land. But if she stayed in the water, she would have probably turned more amphibian. I thought that somehow the creature like or like a species of the creature did that to her and she just and she feels this familiarity and this connection with them and that can totally work too i mean yeah that's a really good idea i i'm i'm with you on that as well that can totally be that way yeah but then when they turn in the gales i was like how did i not see that coming i guess because i was so fixated like oh they're they are legitimately scars that oh they turn they're actually gills i was like oh okay um and and i'm not even getting into the anatomy of that like it's a fantasy i'm not i'm not supposed to question how like like the little mermaid how does ariel like get legs and shit like i'm not like you're not supposed to be questioning that or like you know the right if you're asking those questions the movie has lost you well it's weird too because (laughs) they do like go into like the anatomical like stuff of the creature i'm like well she doesn't have amphibian lungs like gills don't just like turn shit into oxygen like there's yeah. because you know this is like this is the biology degree coming you've had, out. You've had anatomy and physiology. Where I've dissected fish and I've had to take yeah. practicals on how gills work. I'm like, eh. yeah. but but I, I that's trust me, that's just me being funny. But mm-hmm. um, but it is a thing I'm thinking about, but it's not killing the movie for me. It shouldn't. <laughs> you know, that's like that's like questioning the science of uh of star wars at that point, right yeah you if know? you start going down that rabbit hole like you, yeah the movie has lost you at that yeah point. you're like you're not you're you're you watch movies for the wrong reason if you're doing yeah. that well no and i don't i don't even think it's on you i i would i would first look and go like 
where did this movie lose me if I start <laughs> asking those questions? Right? You ask those questions after it in a, in a format like this, like, but now wait a minute. Oh, that's right. I'm not supposed to think about this as a fantasy movie. So yada, yada. And I go back again to my original theory because it ends the same way it begins with Giles doing this voiceover. Like, I like to believe she's happy ever after that she remained in love. Because you notice the thing about like his drawings and things is there always something in the moment of happening mm -hmm. and the story could be going forward or backward and it's sort of your mind to, to that's what a good artist does is it allows you to fill in the gaps right and i kind of feel like maybe maybe he once drew a, a beautiful woman because it doesn't look anything like eliza that that sketch that he made right it's just got long flowing you know blondish hair and the the creature's totally dark and you know and it's holding on and he's like maybe he dreamed that up one night and decided okay i'm gonna have a whole story for this thing right i'm just gonna give it my neighbor's name because that's what i know I, I go back to my theory that like maybe this is just one of giles's good stories that he finally figured out how to sell to you know, the pop magazines that were that were going to become popular during the time. Maybe he found his niche in the latter part of his life instead of early. I don't know. I do like that. I wish there was a line, just even if it's a line drop, was like, eh, I'm done drawing. I think I'm going to try writing. Like that, I think, would solidify that theory yes. like way yeah. more. Like, yeah, I agree. oh, it's a little bit more like cerebral and like kind of surreal. Like I like that because, you know, I, I love stories. I love movies that, like what what you're seeing is more like a folklore like it's like, like robert yeah, like, like, like princess robert bride Eggers. is is just peter falk telling his grandson a story yeah but like <laughs> princess bride you know like robert eggers lighthouse the witch yeah. like those are stories that would be told in you know the witch like puritan times of like oh these are like witches are scary this is why here's here's a movie of a story or the lighthouse i take that as like you know this, this is the story that, you know, seafarers would say at night, like, oh, like, don't be, like, stay away from the light, you know, don't be blinded by the light, like, one of those, like, sea shanties, or those sea tales, and exactly. I, and I, I kind of like that idea that this is in the same vein, but it's, like, but it's, like, a trashy pulp, it's got some substance, but he has to, like, be appealing to the masses, like, oh, like, like Jaws, like, oh, there's like, there's sex in it. There's like all this other shit. And then it's like, oh, well, here's the stuff that I actually really care about. Like a story of broken people finding each other. Right. Masked that, with, with like lust and sex and like violence and stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's Guillermo del Toro. I think that's the whole, the whole movie is these broken people finding each other in things that they don't know how to describe, right? Love is indescribable and all this stuff. And so it's some of that, you know, Hallmark Cardi kind of uh, belief in, in, you know, Shakespeare's love and all this kind of stuff um, mixed with his need for fantasy and gore, you know, that he wants to kind of put in a blender. And the question is, is does the protein shake work or not? You know, because it's not that it tastes bad on the front, it's just it continue to taste bad and doesn't make you sick afterwards. That's the real trick to the shape of water. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I, that's kind of all I had to say about the movie. So I guess we can get into final thoughts. And, uh, and I was about to say popcorn ratings, which I guess you can do, but like final <laughs> final recommendations. Dude. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I know. 300 popcorn ratings later, I don't want to do this anymore. I, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, honestly, like, um, you know, I told you coming into this, like, I don't just abjectly hate this movie, but I do remember distinctly like forgetting it as i was watching it and even i was watching it today i was like i was trying to really you know, make some notes and try to keep this to memory you know and stuff like that and there's so much of it i've still like oh is that how that happened like it's still sort of self-erases <laughs> maybe like a secret government tape i don't know um 
as a love letter to universal monster movies and particularly the creature from the black lagoon who i do not think has gotten his due in you know modern retellings and may never get retold you know properly um i think it's neat um as a romance it's it's not great but i've seen worse ones um the, the things that that i don't like about the movie are the the super cartoon villain that is strickland and i think that wastes michael shannon's talents he can be a sinister bastard but you still could give him some heart and it would make it more interesting and the russian subplot man i could just totally do without that like i honestly like if i could fan edit this i would cut all of that out and cut that whole character and i think you still have an hour and 35 minute movie and it's really tight and it works so it's again it's not in my top five of del toro's work um and it's certainly not the best movie of the 90th academy awards in my opinion but it's also not terrible it's good it's one of those that i'm like if, if you probably heard about it and maybe haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a while it's worth a rewatch just to see if it's like okay is this something i want to hang on to or is it eh, okay and now i'm done with that i think it's worth revisiting on that level but um you know, out, out of 10, man, I, I'd probably say a good solid seven, which I think is a good movie. I mean, that, that means it's passable and you can watch it. And I mean, dude, I had it on and was watching it and it was, it was no problem. It just went right on by, you know, <laughs> even being two hours long. I was like, okay, yes, it's fine. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd give it about a seven. Yeah. And I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. Um, I, it's it, like, it's not, I, again, it's, I feel like the last few movies we talked about, or at least with Tenet, it's like, this is like, the middle movie for the director i i I, shape of water i I, i'm glad that he won best director because you know del toro deserves some sort of academy award for something it's it is a very i mean it's not as ambitious as pan's labyrinth but it is an ambitious project i i i think this if anything i think this conversation did help give me another appreciation for it um it's not going to, it didn't change my rating, but I, I, I like the perspective that I have of it now. Um, I, I love the visual style of it. I, uh, I, you know, I love more the supporting cast, uh, the, the creature design. Uh, it, it is that unofficial sequel to uh, the creature from Black Lagoon, Black Lagoon, which I do appreciate because that is also one of my like first introductions to uh, you know, the monster movies of the fifties. I, I still vividly remember seeing Black Lagoon and, and and now I I I'm this is the unofficial sequel to that and yeah I, there are, I still think there are those issues with you know how like the relationship is portrayed and you know just some directing style things that I'm like oh, okay I don't necessarily agree with that but overall I did really I I did enjoy the movie um, I think out of ten. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a six out of 10 still like, it's still enjoyable. Still would say watch it. Uh, but I, I probably wouldn't say get, I wouldn't say get like the 4k ultra edition, whatever cut of the movie, like, you know, like standard def, maybe Blu-ray if it's on sale, but yeah, I'm going to give it a, a six out of 10, you know, it's a solid movie, but you know, there, there are better Del Toro movies to watch. Yeah. Echo all of that. I, I said, couldn't say it better myself. Yeah, so I guess that concludes this episode. Uh, Jay, uh, where can we, where, where can anyone find you? Whether uh, social media, any other projects you, you'll be working on? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if you're if you're a football fan at all, you can follow my football stuff, the Gridiron Breakdown. Go to thegridironbreakdown.com and that'll lead you to our link tree. And we do that show live on Facebook on Wednesday nights. It's the off season of football right now, so we, we go about every two, three weeks and do a show. Uh, we'll have a few coming up here with the NFL draft coming up and then we'll be in football wasteland for a couple months. So we'll probably do just a couple more shows in the summer. But uh, every week, uh, me, Brian, Alan, and Lindsey um, break down uh, the top games of college and NFL each week and we throw out picks and have a good time and, and stuff like that. So follow us at thegridironbreakdown.com. Again, you can watch the show live and if you don't you know, catch it live, we have a YouTube page, we have audio, you can download the podcast, all that stuff. And if you want to listen to 11 years of movie reviews, uh, mostly uh, with me talking with a lot of other people, uh, but with me in the host chair, uh, go to filmstrippodcast.com. Um, 300 episodes in now at this point and plus now and so a lot of cool stuff going on though and the show continues on uh, even though I'm kind of branching out doing other things now Filmstrip will always be there but yeah um, Filmstrip Podcast I mean Mike you've been on a few episodes with us we've, we've reviewed a little bit of everything at one time or another and, and uh, have a lot of fun with it so check out FilmstripPodcast.com if you're into other movie reviews and thanks so much for having me here again on Amateur Archers look forward to uh, having maybe more free time to be able to come and do more of these oh yeah of course yeah Jay always an open invitation and even if you want to do stuff like you don't have to wait for an invite for to me if you, if you say hey you want to talk about this be like hell yeah come on i don't even know what it is you can just say you want to talk about this and i'll say always an open invitation oh, be careful what you ask for <laughs> <laughs> now I'll, I'll give anything a shot um but yeah yeah so that's where you can find jay highly recommend uh, his shows following his content uh you can again you can follow us uh, on twitter at all tours pod or email us at the amateur all tours podcast at gmail.com and uh as always guys see you next time and thanks for listening